Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello again, Steve Wilson here, once again, continuing through the book of Matthew in chapter 18. I hope you can uh, set aside the next 15 minutes to uh, listen to my ramblings as we travel through this book. I've said often enough that this is my favorite book of the Bible. Don't know why. I've tried to figure that out, but doesn't matter. Bottom line is that it is. And I don't know, as I read through it, I just see so many things that uh, have guided me in my life and things that will guide me in the future. And so I just enjoy sharing what God shows me as I read through the book of Matthew. So here we are, chapter 18. And we have progressed down through verse 10. Now we are in uh, verse 11. Um, but let me just make one more comment on verse 10. I, I, you know, I was talking about the angels and the guardian angels and all that. Um, but you know, when it, it talks about these angels, it says that they do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So. They are ever before him, um, constantly in his presence, and uh, I believe they're sharing the uh, actions and thoughts and whatever that they observe in the lives of you and I. So there's nothing secret before God. He knows all, sees all. He is uh, that much a part of our lives because he can be and because he cares that much. So understand that um, if he created us in his likeness, he wants us to be like him. Um, Should we not also kind of approach one another the same way he does, or at least as much as we can? And so what that does is that behooves us to try and learn more about his character, to try and see things through his eyes as much as possible. I know we really can't fully until we get to heaven, maybe, but... For now, uh, that should be our goal, you know, when we look at other people, to see them the way God sees them. And he says in verse 11, he gives us the very basis of everything he's ever done. The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now, his desire is to see people saved. Now, you know, there are those who who talk about um, not having a free will. Then God picks and chooses whom can be saved and whom cannot be saved. Uh, I I do not adhere to that um, because of verses like this. He didn't come to save 
the lost he chose. He came to save anyone who would be saved. Um, he, you know, he he has a desire to to see everyone saved, and um, that's why he died. His 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 grace is sufficient. The blood he shed was sufficient to save the whole world. So anyway, that's I'm kind of chasing a rabbit here. But anyway, you know, that's that's his point. He came to see people saved, and that should be our heart's desire, whatever you believe about that. And I have a lot of friends who who are uh, who lean towards the Calvinistic side, you know, the predestination and the elect and all that sort of thing. And, and that's all well and good because most of them that I know are still trying to win souls. They're doing the same thing I am. They're trying to tell people about Jesus Christ. Um, maybe their motive is to find those who would be saved. My motive is to just find anyone that is willing to be saved. So whatever the case, we're doing the same thing. So, you know, I'm not I'm not going to, you know, separate myself from them simply because of that, because we're still trying to win the loss. And that's what Christ came to do. That's what he wants us to do. And that should be our ultimate goal in no matter what we do. Uh, but in verse 12, it says, How think ye? If a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of, 90 and, than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Um, you know, God... <laughs> I know he he precludes this with the concept of winning the lost, and I get that we read this passage and we understand that, um, you know that's what he that's what he's really talking about is is you know people who choose not to stay within the fold of Christ because we're born as children and we're innocent. Then as we grow, we make choices and we wander away, and and God seeks to draw us back in. You know, I, I get that, but could it not also be that he's also talking about Christians, perhaps? Maybe there's a, sort of a dual application here, um, because Christians can backslide, Christians can fall away, uh, Christians can cease to live a life that's in servitude to God and be drawn into the things of the world and be enticed by them. And because of that, people are lost because we lose our testimony. We stop winning people to Christ. You know, that, does, that no longer becomes a priority in our life. And so our lifestyle leads others down that wrong road. So ultimately, it does lead to people being lost. But, but I think that God cares for, for uh, each and every one of us to, to the extent that he would leave the 90 and 9 and go search out the one who has gone astray. Which, by the way, you know, we're talking about, it starts out in this chapter talking about the children and all that sort of thing and how God views them and how he cares for them and how he chastises the world for the way they treat us and that sort of thing. And, and, and as he gives these illustrations throughout the rest of this chapter, um, in verses 12 through 15 here, he's showing how much he cares for everyone. You know, God has a concern and a, and a desire to reach all, no matter what their background, no matter what they're into, uh, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, whoever they are, God cares for everyone. When you get down into verses 11 through 20, uh, you see that he is tolerant. 
to all, that those who do things that are ungodly, he still tolerates them. And then when you get down into verses 21 through 35, you see that God is willing to forgive all. Um, he, he forgives all sin. He forgives all behavior. He, he, it doesn't matter what a person falls into. God has the ability to put it all behind us and, and can remove that guilt. Um, so in this, this section here, um, he's talking about how, how much he cares that he would be willing to leave the 90 and 9 that he's watching over and find the one who has, uh, who has gone astray. And, you know, to me, that's a whole another point about free will. God wants all 100 of them. You know, he's willing to go after that one. Now, had he chosen to, that person to be lost, they were not one of the elect, why would he chase them down? Why would he go after the whole caboodle? Why would he desire to draw in the entire herd if he didn't want to see everyone saved? If he didn't want to see everyone serving him? God's desire in everything is 100%. I mean, when you think about the nature of God, how could it be anything less? God is not just satisfied with whatever he can get doesn't mean he doesn't love whoever he gets, but he grieves over those he doesn't get. If one goes astray, he grieves over that. He, he doesn't want to see a single person fall into the throngs of Satan and end up in a devil's hell. That's just his nature. He cares for all. Pardon me, I'm taking sips of coffee here as we go so it doesn't get cold. Um, and so he rejoices in verse 13, and, and so be he find it. Verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. And it doesn't take anything away from those that, that, that stay faithful. It, it, it takes those who stay faithful to prevent more people from falling away. And even so is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You hear what he's saying there? It's not his will that even one should perish. God doesn't want anyone to get away. His salvation is offered to all and available to all. Moreover, if thy brethren shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, and he shall hear thee. Thou hast gained thy brother. Um, and if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now we're getting into a segment here about how to how to deal with uh, um, issues with one another. But um, in in kind of wrapping up this verse twelve to fifteen about how he cares for all, he's pointing out that we have a responsibility as Christians who are striving to be as Christ-like as possible to take that first step in trying to resolve issues. I know that's really a tough, a, a, a tough assignment to take on. You know, none of us want to have to be that humble because it's humiliating. Sometimes someone has wronged you. Why should I have to go to them to resolve the issue? They're the ones that were wronged. They're the one that caused the problem. They're the one 
that needs to resolve the issue. Well, it's not what the Bible says. As Christians, we assume that responsibility. When Christ comes into our life, we take upon us his nature, and his nature is to take that first step. After all, did he not send his son to die for us? We, we certainly, not only were not going to do anything to save ourselves, we could not do anything to save ourselves had not our Heavenly Father made the choice to reach out to us and to, to make a way, to provide a way. Not only has he provided the way, but now, you know, he goes out of his way to share the gospel, to tell people about what he's done, and to invite them to come into the family of God. And that's, that's his desire, and so he wants to pass that same desire along to you and I. It's our responsibility to reach out to a lost and dying world. It's our job. That's what churches do. Um, you know, it's one of the functions that a church does. It's, it's a point of strategy where the people who love the Lord and want to serve God, you know, come together not just to worship God. You know, a lot of people get the wrong impression about churches. That's just some place we all get together and worship God, and then we can go our own merry way for the rest of the week. That's not at all what church is. Worshiping God is just one of the, 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 the parts of being part of a local church. It's one of the things, many things that they do. Um, they have ministry to a lost and dying world, and, and all different churches have different ways of trying to reach out and touch others. And, and God needs our input. He needs, you know, he, he gives us special gifts, gives us special abilities that he expects us to use. And we, of course, have talked about that already. But he expects us to put those into use and to collaborate with one another to formulate a ministry of sorts that, that will allow us to reach out and serve people. That's why you see the different characteristics of each church, because different communities require different uh, approaches, different methods. And, and so, you know, he, he needs our input, and it's important for us to be a part of a local church. It blows me away people that just don't see the value of a local church and, and whenever you know whenever they start talking about why they don't go to church they always give you very self-centered reasons you know they always will talk about how well you know I can be spiritual outside of church and I can minister outside of church and I can I can do all the same things that a church does in my home and in my my life well rarely does that ever occur Number one, most usually it's an excuse to not do anything. Uh, secondly, they can't do the things that a church do. There's, there's strength in numbers. Um, and, and you don't have that fellowship and that support. Um, there's so many things that a local church offers that you can't provide outside of church. And, and again, I'm chasing a rabbit here. Uh, so I need to get back on point. He's talking about um, you know, within a church, how do you handle it when you have an issue with someone? Well, you know, you're not in a church, and you obviously don't have that resource. So he's going to talk about it here in the next few verses, and I don't have time to go into it in this segment. But he's going to talk about how we handle um, issues, differences, and so on when, when we um, have, you know, find a brother or sister at fault, or we're at fault for that matter. So anyway, um, I thank you for listening, and we've come to the end of our time. We will pick up, let's see, where did we get down to, through verse 15. So I guess we'll pick up 
in verse 16. Probably come back and review 15 a little bit in the next segment. So thank you for listening. God bless.